Welcome to the first podcast of the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, based in the Highlands of Scotland, following Roy and his team doing hands-on conservation in the field, working towards the restoration of species in the UK and abroad. I don't think people should require to go to a nature reserve to see rare birds. So it's just lovely that nowadays people can be driving along the road and they see an osprey fishing. I just love that. For some, this podcast will be about wildlife. We'll be starting with groundbreaking projects moving osprey and white-tailed eagle chicks to the south of England. But for others, it might be just as much about spending half an hour or so with people who love what they do. Some people say it's just too late to do anything about the environment. I really like hearing from people who know that they can and do make a difference. Every summer, at the house that Roy and I share in the Highlands, I meet a bunch of friends who are doing a great job for wildlife. This podcast will be their story. Roy has worked for decades on translocations, moving chicks from one area to another to spread the populations. But every year, whether he's planning to move birds or not, he starts by checking every osprey nest in his patch. We call this monitoring, and monitoring is quite detailed really, it has to be. And it starts with the spring when you check in April to see if the pair of birds are there. Then in mid-April, late April, have they got eggs? And then five weeks or so later, did they hatch? And this time of the year, late June, early July, you're going from nest to nest to see if they have young. It gets very personal because some of these birds um, live a long time. And in fact, one of them that I knew, Green Jay, she bred until she was 26 years old. So really from springtime, you see the same bird coming back from Africa and breeding again, and it, it's fascinating. These poles, they're five foot each, and they join together to make a tall pole that I can push right up into the top of the tree. And I've fitted a little mirror on the top. And with my binoculars, I can see how many eggs or how many chicks are on the nest. That's the first indication that she definitely has young ones because that's the female calling overhead. If you didn't have a licence, you'd be breaking the law now. Oh, you're breaking the law, yeah. They start making that noise above you. You should enjoy it, but go away. And if you come back, say, to take photographs, then you're definitely breaking the law. So now we've got the mirror poised over the nest. Okay, turn it. Clip them in. Turn it round. And Roy's looking through his binoculars. While the osprey circles overhead. I can see one. Carry on round. Now go the other way. When I was a kid, bird watching on the south coast of Hampshire, I never saw an osprey. I didn't even know any of my friends had ever seen an osprey on migration. But it was a mentor and a pair of birds at Loch Garden in Strathspey, which began a lifelong link with osprey conservation. I was working as an 18, 19 year old on the island of Farrar, working at a bird research station, migration station, and an incredible man turned up called George Waterston, who was a famous 
ornithologist in Scotland, a very important ornithologist. And I got to know him when he came to Fair Isle that September, and he told me that the ospreys nested successfully in 1959, and would I consider being a warden there in 1960? Consider? I jumped at it, and I got the job, and George was one of my most important mentors in my life and I worked there for four summers when we just had the one pair. Oh great, good. Two big chicks and a dud egg. Now you know it's worth the time. This is year three of a five-year project working with the conservation charity Birds of Pool Harbour to send 60 ospreys to Dorset. Well that's heavy rain tonight and um, I'm hopeful for tomorrow. The difficult thing is, if the trees are very wet, it's really hard for the guys climbing. And uh, also, we don't really want to collect the birds if they're too wet, we'd rather leave them alone. But it's been showers and then bright periods, and the main thing is, it's not high winds. So I think we'll be alright. Thank goodness the rain has stopped, and this is the first day of collecting young ospreys for Pool Harbour. So I have a license from Scottish Natural Heritage and I can take one chick from a nest of two or three and in exceptional circumstances take two young when there are three young in the nest. But the most important thing is there must always be one young in the nest. Do you know what? The osprey population is amazingly slow in some ways, amazingly fast in other ways. When I first came here in 1960 to be the warden at Loch Arton. There was only one pair of ospreys in Scotland, one pair of ospreys in the whole of the British Isles. And then in 1963, there were two pairs. And then they slowly increased. And when I returned from Fair Isle in 1971, my job description was to protect rare birds. And one of the important things was to stop people robbing the nests because people were still collecting eggs illegally at that time. So we made trees difficult to climb and then we realised that we could actually build nests away from public places and so we started to build nests. We realised then that we could make certain that if a nest got damaged in the winter we could secure it and the whole aim was to increase the population. You know, there are probably 2,000 pairs in Britain in a thousand years ago, and they were basically all killed out by humans, mainly because they went to the medieval fish ponds when fish was really important for people to eat on Fridays. And it's been very successful. They've kind of increased in Strasbourg to about a dozen pairs. They came here in 66, and they increase the population. So we have these semi-colonies all over Scotland now. There's probably about 300 pairs in Scotland. Um, there's a good number in the north of England, Lake District. Some of them have gone to Kilda Forest. There's the 10 pairs now at Rutland. And some of the ones we took to Rutland started a population in Wales. So there must be 30, 30 plus in England now. So the situation is really good. So the idea is we've got plenty of ospreys up here in this part of Scotland and you can spare a few to go down and, and spread the population? Well it's more than that really because up here the population is what I'd nearly call saturated so the numbers of pairs that breed in Badenoch and Stress Bay or here in West Murray 
have now leveled out and so young birds that come here and want to breed may have to wait until they're four five or six years old before they can find a place and every year that passes without them breeding there's a 10% chance of them dying of migration so in fact it kind of makes biological sense even that we remove some of the young ones and they grow up in a new place where there is no competition at the present time with other adults. Tonight we should have our first ospreys and then we'll collect some more tomorrow and Friday and then Tim will drive down overnight to Pool Harbour. So I'm uh, yeah, I don't, want to. No, I don't need the doctor. Do you never use that? I'm Tim McCrill and work with the foundation, have done for a couple of years. I'm actually based down in the south, but I've come up this week to start collecting the ospreys that we're taking down to Pool Harbour. So we're hoping to collect somewhere between maybe nine and 12 birds for this year. And the whole idea is that we take the birds down to pool when they're kind of able to look after themselves. So we're looking for birds that are a certain size. We're looking for ones that are looking really strong and healthy, as they say, a certain age. And Roy's monitoring over the last few weeks means we know which nest to visit today. Um, and with a bit of luck, we should collect the first few birds over the course of today. So are you going up the tree? I don't think I'm going up the tree, but Ian and Fraser are going up the tree. They know these trees really well because many of the nests we're actually visiting are nests that we've, or Fraser and Ian, have built over, over recent years. And that, you know, continues the work that Roy's been doing for so many decades to, to build osprey nests. That means that those guys know those trees really well, which is a, a real help. We just need to get it over this branch, Fraser. My name's Ian Perks. I'm a tree climber uh, and I've been working with Roy and the foundation for the best part of 10 years. Okay. Now come down. I'm Fraser Cormack and I've been helping Roy with his Osprey projects in the Basque Country and to Pool Harbour. I'm one of the two main climbers collecting, collecting the chicks for the project. We say to each other, me and Fraser, climb safe, climb safe. When we're climbing trees it's, it's a fantastic thing to do but what, equally what you find is that every tree is different so when you approach each tree, some of them you've climbed before and you'll know little bits and pieces about them but the weather's been very wet the last couple of days uh, we're out collecting in the dry, but the trees are still very wet. It's changed the tree completely. It can be such a variable job with the tree climbing an osprey nest. The osprey nests are generally at the very, very top of trees. And quite often around about here, they're in very large, non-native trees. So they can be quite a struggle to climb up some of them. And then you've got to get yourself around and onto the top of the nest at the very top of the tree. And sometimes the adult birds are dive bombing you and alarm calling. And quite often the chicks are just hunkered down, relaxed in the bottom of the nest, just wondering what's going on. And they tend to be very calm and I sort of speak to them and then I put my bag up onto the nest and then gently put the chicks into the bag and then lower them down. And, and quite often you don't take the time to have a look around, but when you do take a minute just to have a look around and have a look at the view that these birds get from their nest, sometimes it can be fantastic. Sometimes you can be a long way from the sea, but you can still see the sea and you can see a loch where they fish or a river or a big country house. And they're in, some of them are in really fantastic settings, really beautiful places. One thing you'll find with some of the birds, they'll build, they'll be big builders. So you'll come back one year and they've put another six inches on top of the nest. So when you're trying to get to that point of reaching over and getting the chicks, you'll suddenly find that from last year it's totally changed because your reaches are just that little bit more limited by the amount of sticks they've put on the top. And if that means we can't take a bird, we can't take a bird. The safety comes first of us and the birds themselves.
it's interesting Fraser and I talk to some of we've got favorite trees we've got trees we really don't like there's a tree I quite like climbing um, uh, by an old kirk and it's really tall it's a big tree it's got a slight lean on it Fraser doesn't like it at all he hates it he'll do anything to get out of climbing it it just gives me the well is this tree it just it, you know I just uh, just a wee bit got the fear from it and the, there's no reason it's not technically difficult it's not any taller than any other trees it's just it's got this graveyard and a old church below it and I just don't like that I don't like the idea of pinging out of a tree into a graveyard I mean, once you're at the bottom of the tree and you've got all your gear on you know it's normally normally 15 20 minutes to get to the top I'd say um, depends how efficient you are with your changeovers of the ropes and that sort of thing but generally not too long once you've got all your gear sorted and organized quite often we're spiking trees because uh, they're very tall and they have no branches for a long long way and you don't really want to be throwing throw lines up with the checks being there. So you spike up these trees, um, these are climbing irons, some people call them, and we've got a, a line going round the main stem and we, we spike on up and then we get round it into the branches and then we throw the ropes over and then attach to that and then climb up some more and you just slowly but surely work your way up the tree, always being connected to the tree so you're always safe. You're never free climbing the tree, like a kid would, you're always safe because they're very tall trees and if you're doing it quite often it just increases chances for something to go wrong if you're not being 100% safe. Okay we're at the first tree of the day and it's fair to say this one's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, it involves wearing spikes, a lot of rope changes, it's at really at the base it's really wide. How wide do you reckon that is about? Just looking at it here the diameter of the tree is about a metre and a half maybe, it's big at the bottom, yeah. that's the diameter of it, it's, it's a big big tree. But it's going to be a sort of slow steady spike to get to the top and then we'll see if, see how many birds are there and then hopefully we can get a bird for uh, Pool Harbour. And the one thing about this tree because it's so big it's not a tree where you can lower the chicks down to be ringed um, it's a question of ringing the birds on the nest because uh, it's so busy with branches there's lots of stuff in the way to lower the birds down would take so long and potentially put them at risk so the plan is to get up there two of us going to go up get to the top see what's there ring the bird on the nest uh, and if there's a bird to take for pull we'll take that down clip it onto our harness and bring it down with us rather than lower it but given the size and scale of the tree this is a pretty special job this one right it's so tall this tree the most important thing is to put a knot in the end of this rope because it's a stopper knot so that if you come sliding down for any reason this knot will stop you falling out the tree. So a pretty essential knot to tie. Right. It's a really special feeling being up there. Sometimes it can be a little bit nerve-wracking because you are very high up but there's times when you just really relax and you relax with the birds and you can just really take in the view and enjoy what they're seeing every day. Maybe peek your head over the nest and you'll see how many birds or chicks are on the nest. And, um, and then you normally give a call down to Roy and Ian and Tim and you'll be like, oh, there's, there's two birds on the nest or there's three. And, uh, and then we'll normally get them to clip on a bag at the bottom. We've got this, uh, this bag that we use for, uh, for bringing the chicks up to the top of the tree called the Power Master bag. And uh, so they'll clip that on at the bottom and then I'll pull that up and then I'll put the chicks into the bag that need to go into the bag or sometimes all of them and I'll quickly lower that bag to the guys on the ground and they can do the essential measurements and ringing and also choose which birds that are suitable for going 
for going away to, to Pool Harbour. You're just about there, Ian. The Osprey is a marvellous barometer of the countryside, the, the quality of the fish. But I've always said that these birds should not be rare. They should be as regular in the countryside as the habitat and the food supplies uh, allow. And the other is that I don't think people should require to go to a nature reserve to see rare birds. So it's just lovely that nowadays people can be driving along the road and they see an osprey fishing. Or where they live, they know there's an osprey nest that they can see from a particular spot. I just love that. When we're collecting birds to take down to Pool Harbour, we need them to be a certain size. So if they're not quite big enough, then it's not worth taking them down they've got to be the right size and we measure that by the length of their wings so we're, we're hoping that these or at least one of the birds in this nest will have a wing length of 320 millimeters but we'll we'll see um, could you pass me that little blue rope there grand thank you so yeah Fraser's now halfway up the tree he's been using spikes and ropes to get there he's now lowered a long rope down to me so I'm about to go up with the rucksack containing all the ringing gear and a hold all to bring the chick down, hopefully. So this actually, Fraser's done most of the hard work here, so I get the easy job because he's done the sort of gnarly bit at the bottom. I've now got a rope and anchor point so I can climb up on the rope, um, which should make life a lot easier for me. Um, and then we'll both be sort of half to three quarters of the way up the tree and then once we get a big sort of idea about what's going on, we'll, we'll have a look at the nest and then work out what needs to be done. This is the female just circling. Uh, she's concerned that we're here. And the call uh, is a warning call, which tells the chicks to lay flat. And she'll use that call in various circumstances. You know, if some predator came by, she'll tell the chicks to lay down. And uh, these, these osprey chicks are really good that they lie down very tightly in the nest and when you climb to the nest and look over for ringing they they just pretend to be dead yep superb mate got it yeah brilliant well done fraser excellent work that was excellent a, work that was an excellent nest really really beautiful sight like yeah overlooking the wee lock there with all the rushes and reeds and yeah big bit of fish in the nest fantastic nice and did you see both adults were there the female was there to start with and the male arrived i don't know if you could you see that from where you were i was i saw i saw an, an adult osprey flying around but i was yeah. too busy paying attention just to the absolute job yeah. at hand but yeah. here's the bag with the chicken that's it on the ground now so we'll just quickly open up the bag and check that the chick's doing okay These chicks come from a tree that we reckon is something like 50 metres tall. And there it is, looking good. Looking looks, really in, good. looks in really good condition. Really you see the condition. really bright eye and the wings are a good length. We'll measure them just to double check, but it looks the perfect size to take to Pool Harbour. Absolutely. It's healthy, it's alert and it's fantastic. Really good condition. So what we'll do, we'll zip the bag up, we'll take it back up to the vehicle and... Uh, We'll do some measurements. It's it's privilege really. You do feel like you're sort of in a different realm, a different world almost, you know. Particularly a tree like that where it's so tall, you're in a you are in a completely different environment to what we all take for granted down on the deck. 
you know you're up there almost in the stars you know and the birds are around you and it's it, it really is fantastic it really just gives you a shiver down your spine even thinking about it now it's making me feel really good about that tree there's very few people that get a chance so i do feel lucky very lucky to get a chance to do it in the mid 90s roy began a project down at rutland water to transacase ospreys and restore them to england for the first time in in 150 years Going around and collecting the ospreys for Paul Harbour is really exciting for me because I first got involved with ospreys when I was just 15 years old and a volunteer at Rutland Water when the project there was just starting. So for me personally, it's been a real kind of journey from being a young schoolboy volunteer at Rutland Water to now it being my kind of profession. And the really exciting thing now is that the Paul Harbour project is really a continuation of that. So we're kind of building on the successes of Rutland and all the experiences that we gain there because that was the first time that this technique had been used with ospreys in Europe to, to kind of restore them to their previous range. So it's very exciting now to have got to the point where the Rutland Water project has been a real success. Uh, and now we're kind of moving on to the next stage, which is restoring ospreys to the south coast of, of England, where the old English name is actually mullet hawk. So we're, we're hoping that the population that we establish at Paul Harbour will spread along the south coast and, and, and there'll be a common sight in those estuaries as they were two, three hundred years ago. And it's, it's important to think that this isn't just about collecting the birds for Paul Harbour because we're, we're, we're continuing the monitoring that, that Roy started all those years ago, where... We're, we're checking the success of nests and we're ringing the chicks because even the birds that stay here, it's important we ring them because then we know them as individuals and hopefully in a couple of years time some of these birds will come back to Scotland and, and continue to, to increase the population. Okay, we've got one chick and then we'll take it back to the house. Really what we want to see is we do want to see them putting up a bit of a fight because what it shows is that the bird is in really good condition and this bird is just fantastic. It's got this really bright iron, looks very alert, which is absolutely what we want to see. These ones we put the colour in in England on the right leg. Yeah. The metal ring is the BTO national ringing scheme ring which has on it um informed british museum if it's you know found dead and it has informed british museum london natural history museum and the number unique number and the blue ring is coloring and these are seen by people with their cameras and and um oh, oh. Uh, uh, i saw that coming just a bit of a Jab at you. There's that beak. No, this is a. Careful, it's going again. A bit tricky. Now, if you can move your finger, Tim. Oops. That's okay. And then we wind it round like that. And that's the colouring on. And then I need to put a little touch of glue on it. How many of these colourings, Roy, do you think you've put on oh, over the years in Scotland? Oh, thousands, Mary. Another <laughs> glue yeah. in your mouth. And that's I'll it. just take that out for you. There you Great. go. So how many? Um, oh, <laughs> a couple of thousand, I would think, at least. Yeah. So what is this Osprey? It's 015. Zero 015. And that one's going to go to Pool Harbour. What I find amazing is that this bird was in a nest, what, three hours ago, and... It's really calm and really 
is interested in what's going on around it, but it's not at all worried. No, but you notice we we move very quietly, and we're very quiet around the bird, and all these are more important things. The wing length is three six eight. Okay, now let me just put you down there, like that. Okay, come on, put down there and put something over its head just to calm it. Yeah, I'm do that. I just need to get the tail tail length. These are a good indicator of how they're getting on 155. So this bird is probably over six weeks old, but it's still a couple of weeks away from flying, so it'll be in the pens at Pool Harbour for maybe a fortnight before we let it go. 1360. That's just a good weight for a male osprey. Right. Now put it in the right pen yep. so that we can put these three together and they'll learn to feed. And the nice thing is, is that although that, that bird's had no fish today, now we can guarantee it has as much fish as it wants. So in a second I'm going to cut up some rainbow trout and it will have a really good feed. So it's luck's in really. It could have been sat in the exposed nest in the pouring rain that we've had today, but instead of which it's going to have a really good feed and it'll be here and stress-free okay this one if you could get one of the other ones and these are what you recognize on a day like this when it was pouring rain this morning is that working in wildlife management or nature conservation there are so many things that are thrown up you know if it's raining then the trees are difficult to climb if it is really windy then the birds might get blown off the nest if we go out there if there's suddenly thunder in the distance, then the climbers must come down. And I think that's true of all the kind of projects we work on in wildlife. You know, when I was trapping the squirrels and uh, re-establishing them on the west coast, you'd think it was a good day, it was a lovely day. They'd been feeding close to the trapping areas for a week, and then you suddenly got deep snow, and you have to leave it. So I think the most important thing for, you know, a person working in wildlife is to be able to work round all of these different things that get thrown up. And uh, this evening, well, it's a nice day now, and Tim and Ian are going to go off to one last nest. And then tomorrow we know where there are two that we can get. You know, the maximum we could have taken down is 14. <laughs> But we want to take them what are really, really good birds. And so 11 would be superb. And we'll soon be hearing how many birds went to pool and how the move went. But this project, like every project, needs money to make it happen. Roy and his team rely on donations from people who like what they do. So if you do, please go to the Support Us page of their website, www.roydennis.org. And credit for the music goes to Kai Engel. It's realness downloadable from the Free Music Archive.